This is Death Before Dishonor. I'm Genesee. My character is Xanatari. She's a good-aligned Kalishtar war priest. I'm Daniel. This symbol is renowned for being associated with the Rod of Orcus, the artifact that I'm after. I'm Eric. My, my name is, is Cesar. I was a, a slave worker for the uh, undead armies of Thay for 75 years. And I'm Tinzian. Shall we start this over again? One of the beauties of D&D. Can't end the story. Goes anywhere you want it. All right, everyone, calm down. I, uh, I think I could come with a with a tale. It, uh, it happened on a <clears throat> on a uh, winter solstice eve. Uh, uh, I don't know if I would say similar to this one, but uh, it happened to be in the same uh, time of season. Uh, and uh, I, will, I could I could certainly tell a tale. Uh, uh, settle down and 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 take a listen. "'Twas the night before Christmas, uh, when all through the inn, all the creatures were stirring, there was quite a din. The tankards were drunk by the fire with care. Without looking too hard, you could find Cesar there. Thord was eyeing a bright, gleaming ruby of red, while visions of artifacts danced in his head. Xanatari and her chainmail, and burnt shining bright, were looking around, making sure all was right. When out in the street there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bench to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and flew like a flash. The moon on the breasts of the fine lady there sent a shock of dark color through my snowy white hair. When what to my wandering eyes should appear but three more senoritas? Quick, I'll buy them some beer! Though eighty-plus years, I'm lively and quick. How speedily I fetched their drinks, what a trick! More rapid than eagles to their sides, Cesar came, and I whistled and shouted and called them by name. Angela, Pamela, Sandra, and Rita, and as I continue, you know they getting sweeter. To the warmth in the bar, to the bench by the wall, now drink with me, drink with me, drink with me all! as dry leaves that before the wind elemental fly, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky. So right up their corsets my eyeballs they flew, and then down the backs of their snug trousers too. Um, hmm. Looking around at the, the crowd of small children staring at him wide-eyed. Uh, here it gets a rather uh, uh, inappropriate for quite some time. Hmm, let's uh, see. Dressed all in fur. Uh, uh, butt cheeks were like roses. Uh, held tight in her teeth. Uh, uh, they shook when they laughed like two bowlfuls of jelly. No, uh, that, that's most of the rest of it. Uh, well, it, it ends up with this. Uh, I sprang down the stairs to my team gave a whistle, and we rode out on Fluffy like the down of a thistle. I made sure to exclaim ere we went out of sight, Happy Christmas, Winterhaven, and to all a good night, especially the ladies. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm Genesee. I'm Eric. I'm Tinzian. And no one can hear you speak. <laughs> and 
this is Death Smooth. Before Dishonor, typical as usual. Today is Friday, December 20th, and this is episode 131 in a weekly series following a group of friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, hosted by the Grey Area Podcast. Now today we have a special, a very special Christmas special, and our DM for today is going to be Thorn, which is going to be different. So hopefully he will have a mic and be able to actually speak. <laughs> and none of us really know what's going on. Uh, Tinsian's going to have his character and play the game with us. Yes. Could, so, so yeah, we can hear you. you. <laughs> okay, so Dungeon Master, Friday, December 20th. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Can you hear us? Uh, can you hear yeah, us? I can hear you. Okay. Then Dungeon Master, <laughs> right. you are a go. All right, kids. So, Merry Christmas. Um, I've been working a little bit on writing this one, so I hope you guys will enjoy it. Uh, I run things a little bit differently to Tinsian. I'm a hard-ass. Rules! Rules! All the rules. Rules. They don't have their dice. Yes. You're going to need multiple today. Okay. I hope. Alright. I'm going to play a little bit more like, uh, classic D&D uh, in this instance. Um, I don't really need them, but let's go. Alright, so uh, this is the D4 Christmas, A Christmas Carol. So, uh, not quite Dickinson, but uh, here, here we go. So it is that festive time of year once more in the town of Winterhaven, the time of winter's giving. Looking around, you can see the progress of development that the town has made in the past few months, with several new buildings having sprouted up in the growing economic crossroad. Towards the edge of town, there is a large commotion and gathering crowds at what appears to be an unveiling of a sh large, shining new building. Go ahead. Do you want us to roll for initiative? How would you like us to handle no. this? No. You, it's your game, guys. Go for it. Whatever you want to do. Well, having been dispatched early from the caravan uh, after arriving into Winter Haven before the last good day before snow is expected, I burly dwarf with his white beard and hammer slung over his uh, shoulder would definitely be interested in catching up some of the local attractions. So seeing a crowd, he would probably sort of butt his way through the crowd towards the front in order to get an idea as to what this building is. Sure. Uh, Cesar, what are you? What, what do you do? Well, uh, you know, anytime there's a gathering of people celebrating something, there's likely to be uh, free-flowing uh uh, drink and food and women, so uh, Cesar will be uh, right in the thick of things, waiting to, to see what pleasures can come his way, and also to see what the excitement is about. What order, Cesar? <laughs> yeah, what, what order, what order? Exactly, what order? <laughs> and one, one, the, and one. And the lovely Zanatari, what do you do? Well, seeing Cesar go towards this festivity, I guess I would go as well, if only to see that there are no unexpected fires. Ah, uh, fair enough. Uh, as you'll notice, Thorn isn't with you. He's, uh, he's departed to take, uh, celebration of his own kind. Uh, if, uh, people have Christmas, then he is of a, a different religion, different sect, and therefore celebrates a little bit differently. Uh, and is not with you, uh, at this time. But, you know, it's, it's expected and it's understandable, and you're going to make your own way, uh, in this Christmas adventure. So, I'm gonna get you all to roll a perception check for me. Uh, that's a d20. Thirty-five. I so perceptive. Thirty-two. 
Hmm. 30. All right. So what you see in front of you is a large building, a large dome building with polished brass and stone supports. There are a large number of glass windows in the domed roof, letting light flood what could be a large entry hall. A large podium stands before the entry, decorated with garlands and de- festive decorations. Elves dressed in festive attire don't go to sleep, iPad. I need you awake. <laughs> the elves declare that all electronics will stay awake for the duration of this, <laughs> this festivity. Okay, good. Uh, elves dressed in festive attire stand to the side of a large-bellied man smiling widely. The man is bearded, dressed in a dark crimson suit and a neatly trimmed white beard. From his vest hangs a gold pocket watch, which he fidgets with and checks absentmindedly as he talks excitedly and passionately, passionately with the crowd. So, uh, yeah, what do you guys do now? So let's start with uh, Cezzle this time. Well, uh, is there any of the aforementioned pleasures <laughs> to be partaken of? There are. There are many, many women in festive attire, uh, low-cut dresses. Um, there is a a large outpouring of ale. There are actually large kegs on stands uh, aligning one side, which appears to be a food table, uh, which has a, a sort of uh, lots of little nibbles and stuff like that, you know, fruits and, and other festive goods, uh, small pies and, and things like that. And it's all lining the, the, the courtyard, which is uh, filled with people that are standing and, and looking at this marvelous large building, uh, which is just radiating light. It's actually lighting up the, the square enough that it almost appears like a daytime. Wow. All right, so Cesar will go and get, uh, let's say, three large overflowing tankards of ale and make his way to a few ladies who seem to have um, the best presence, I guess you would say, in the group. <laughs> and he'll uh, um, come and, and, and shout, uh, Happy Festivities! And he'll thrust a, a tankard of, of ale at each of them and... Um, uh, urge them to drink, and he'll uh, down half of his tankard and engage them in witty, witty banter. All right, with a little, um, with a little groping. <laughs> I'm not sure about the groping. Uh, the guards seem to uh, notice your your outbursts in the large crowd of things, and they're they're eyeing you off as you uh, grope around. Is this, a, uh, is this a no PDA zone? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Just a little what bit. What kind of party is that? Stupid watch wizards. Stupid. Damn, damn watch wizards. <laughs> Always watching their hands. Yes. Xanatari. Hmm, I guess I would make my way around the outer edges of this, looking for, you know, food, kind of observing for a few minutes, um, listening to the speech of this unexpectedly large man dressed so brightly and trying to determine, I guess, what it is that he is trying to convey. Okay. And Tinzian. Well, <clears throat> seeing that Suzer is going to celebrate the holidays mm. and mm. Uh, try and cast some magic oh, mistletoe. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> um, Osric is going to uh, in essence belly up to one of the nearest drink tables, sort of turns this large Warhammer that he's got, drops it on the ground so that the handle is towards the sky, kind of a clump of uh, dust. He's already got a shield over his back and um, starts reaching up and grabs one of the tankards. 
with his other hand, he pretty much refuses, despite the fact that it's free, he still lays some silver down mm-hmm. on the counter. He turns, and he's not so much interested as what the guy's saying as he is the shiny building. So he's going to kind of edge towards if there's any any windows or anything. And as he does, he's going to grab his grab the hammer off the ground and attach it to his side and work his way over. He's pretty gentle, butting people out of the way. Um, okay. Cool. All right. So uh, as you are attracted by the spectacle, you can see a large arched doorway, again, framed in that brilliantly polished brass. Behind the stage, you can see a magnificent machine, several hundred yards long, and what you feel is impossibly heavy to the point it could not possibly move from its own sheer weight. The gentleman on the stage clicks his pocket watch shut with finality, beaming with pride. It's time, he mutters, before roaring to the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, it is with great pleasure that I, Chris Kringale, reveal to you, good people of Winterhaven, something this world has never seen. I present to you the Northern Transport Rail Apparatus Internexus. The world's first magical mechanical transport hybrid that will enable swift and comfortable travel to my home far north. However, for the maiden trip of my train, I will only be inviting those who will be able to find and locate my elf companions here throughout town. Once you find all three, you will be given a ticket to ride my magnificent device and invited to stay at our luxurious inn overnight. Uh, And he keeps going on about the prize details uh, in in detail uh, for a few minutes. Uh, he talks, uh, for a few minutes more, uh, describing prizes and competitions to be won in the next couple of hours before the departure of his apparatus. I look forward to seeing those few, lucky few upon our arrival north. Good luck! With his dismissal, there is immediate panic and anticipation from the crowd to find a ticket. However, through the rushing activity, you notice that Chris Kringale is approaching you. Um, DM? I need to cast uh, copyright infringement uh, for just a moment there. What you said as far as his speech about people finding tickets and taking a magical ride and stuff is exactly based off an ad that Cesar had posted up on the uh, board a couple days ago um, when he got back to Winterhaven. But I think it was for other purposes, so there may be some copyright. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I haven't had internet for a few days, so I didn't didn't see that. His apparatus, There's there's, there's no no ticket required. It was come on, come on. (laughs) <laughs> it's dissimilar. Uh, I think I was prepared for your derailments. Uh, the, uh, the, my my apparatus has a lot more vibrations involved. So many train jokes, and uh, it doesn't. It isn't hindered by its own weight. Very very focused on the caboose. <laughs> Is that the train Kardashian? <laughs> train GM. Um, okay, so he he is coming towards which one of us first? He's approaching, uh, Zanatari at the moment, because she's the one that seems most interested in what's going on at the the stage. Uh, however, it it appears that he's, uh, looking to approach all three of you at once. So I'll start with, uh, Zanatari this time. Uh, well, I would 
stand still enough for him to find me in his approach and be interested in what he has to say. In the meantime, I would be scanning around to notice where everyone's running to look at, look for these tickets, look for these hidden elves, and knowing the town pretty well, I would be compiling a list of places where I feel like would be good hiding spots. Okay. Tinzun. Uh, um, I'm going to I Kring Chris Kringal uh, and uh, wonder what trouble he may be brewing because you know that ale family is some serious customers. Um, I'm going to eye him to see if there's any sort of trouble that I can detect off of him uh, since he is approaching what appears to be a uh, Zantar, are you still up in your armor and everything? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. You know, you look quite capable, but he's still going to size up uh, Chris Kringle. And um, for him, sort of the most direct route in this uh, adventure is he might not know where he wants to look because he's new to the town. But he's going to go up towards the stage and see if maybe something is planted close to the stage just to get things rolling. But uh, he's going to keep a side eye on Kringle and Zanatari. Okay. And Cezar. Well, Cezar, having been thoroughly engrossed with his other extracurricular activities, at the mention of an apparatus, his ears perk up, his bushy eyebrows are raised, and uh, he um, abandons all other um, items of focus and and, uh, listens keenly to uh, Chris Kringale's speech. And uh, that's a prize that he wants to win, because this is something that he's never heard of before and he wants to get on that train and poke around and figure out how it works so he'll uh seeing chris kringale approach xanatari he'll work his way over there to try to get some maybe some insider tips on on where he might find a ticket okay uh as you depart the lovely ladies that you're wooing so uh instantly get bored and and wander off to find the younger specimens you'll be disappointed <laughs> uh, Chris Kringale approaches you, Zanatari, and he goes, "Are you the patron adventurers of your of this fine town? Where are your compatriots?" I would uh, just answer him pretty honestly, just say yes, and kind of nod toward the direction of Caesar, and uh, you know, just assume that he doesn't really know the members of the party, and he doesn't really know exactly how many we are. Just keeping Thorn somewhat of a secret in case he has nefarious purposes. Okay. Or in um, case he's heard of Thorne's exploits before. Or in case he is afraid of fire. <laughs> uh, he'd, he'll ask you, could you please round up your, your group? I have something to give you, a an early uh, gift for, for all of you, for, for your fine efforts. Okay, I would gesture towards Cesar, you know, with a come... Hither and anon, not like that scissor. Mm. And, <laughs> and have him join me. Take out your sun rods, old man. <laughs> I've already counted your rods, old man. And Ostrich. Seeing the Osric interaction. Yeah, seeing the interaction between Zenitari and Cezar. Ostrich has a very strange uh, coat of arms on his shield. And. He's hearing that there's an adventuring company and that these are two members of it. Displaying no fear whatsoever um, seems to be more of a trait than a belligerence. He walks over and 
presents himself uh, next to Cesar, kind of giving Cesar and Xanatari a nod as if um, he's, you know, part of the group as well, and kind of giving a quizzical glance that any of the others might give towards uh, Kringle. Okay. Um, Kringle, not knowing who who belongs to the adventuring company, would nod at all three of you. And he would say to you, if I can find it, he goes, I'd like to personally thank you for allowing such a wonderful town to prosper. And as thanks, I wish to offer you all a free ticket to ride my train and join me in celebrating Winter's Giving. <laughs> this is all about winter's giving. So he does a little dance. Uh, he close up. You can see he's very rosy cheeked. He has a bit of a twinkle in his eye. He's not here to cause any trouble. He's he's a businessman, but he's a very jolly businessman. Um, he's he's not overweight. He is not a large like overly fat man. He is actually. Um, Quite trim in his suit. He's, he presents himself with confidence and, and purpose, as you would expect from an entrepreneur. He hands you all a rail pass with a smile. Um, without this place, I would have had nowhere to place my first rail station. And it was with the help of your well-established guild that we were able to get this far. I hope you will join me. And without another word, he departs around the corner of the new station. I would like to roll a streetwise check. By all means, what are you tra- what are you checking for? Something doesn't seem right. I can understand the prosperity of the town, but nobody is sort of treating this building as being odd, and something just doesn't seem to settle settle right. Okay, I think he, I think he just wants to try and just see if maybe this sounds like one of the other merchant caravanners or something along those lines that are kind of telling you a half-truth. Sure, go ahead. Okay. A 17. Okay, so what the 17 tells you is that uh, Chris Kringale is actually fairly well-known uh, throughout the town. Uh, he's he's one of those strange, uh, eccentric uh, entrepreneurs that, that basically goes out of his way and and goes to much cost to build uh you know uh buildings and and workplaces without much gain until much later on in the actual process of the building um in this case uh you can actually tell that there is no there's no con or deception here he's not trying to swindle you out of any money uh he's not asking for anything all he's asking is that you join him um in thanks on a train trip to the north um what you do realize, however, is that you have been gone from Winterhaven for for a couple of months, and in that time, uh, his his uh, providing of uh, a building that ne- that needs construction has provided many jobs for the citizens of Winterhaven, has brought much needed income, uh, and has actually sort of caused the 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 town again to boom. Um, you know that 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 small sort of growing crossroads that you had as a trading post many, many, many months ago has now sort of started to grow up into a, a, a city of sorts. Um, and it's all thanks to the, the income that your trading caravan provides, the, the Adventuring Guild, and to the, uh, the benefits that Chris Kringrail, uh presents with his train station and the ability to uh, relocate um, for little cost. So... 
it, it seems almost too good to be true, but that is what they say about Chris Kringale, is that he performs uh, almost business-like miracles. So... I would like to roll an Intimidate. On who? Osk... What's his name? Osgarth? Osric. 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 Yes. Let's see. 16. Okay. Um... What is your uh, Zenitar is will. annoyed because he's not part of our party. He basically walked in, which he didn't mind that he walked in and just was curious as to what was said. But he didn't speak up and just pretended as though he is part of us. That ticket in Xanatari's mind belongs to Thorn, doesn't belong to him, and she doesn't know who he is or why he feels that he has the right to just, you know, step in. Um, so she's going to kind of walk up to him a little too closely and... You know, assuming that he's a dwarf, she's, he's probably shorter than her. And, you know, she's kind of grumpy, I guess, because <laughs> uh, this is a festivity. There's a lot of uh, wonderful things going on. Everybody's pairing up, making out. Cesar's grabbing his ladies, all the rest of that. Xenotari is sort of feeling left out and doesn't really have anybody particular to talk to. Um, the more you know. the merrier. Yeah. <laughs> And so she's annoyed that this uh, stranger has come up and just basically butt his way into the party. And then that is, that's fine. But then he didn't really speak up and, and just like say that he wasn't with us. So she's, she's not going to let him just slide in and pretend that he's part of us. Okay. So, um, what is, what is your will, Ostrich? 11. 11. So, uh, she intimidates you quite, quite. She is intimidating. You you don't expect such a, a hostile interaction from uh, what could be a fellow adventurer. Um, how do you want to respond? Well, based on my class and based on my dealings, um, I will take the intimidation as a severe rebuke on my manners, and I will actually drop into a formal dwarvish bow, and announce myself as Osric Jawbreaker, Knight of the Tilted Mithril Vine, Vane. Vane, and Because okay. vine, vine would be pretty cool. <laughs> um, and announce that he is here as part of a warranted caravan. So he, he, is, a, he is a legal member of a caravan. And uh, he pauses for a moment, kind of looks around, and goes, something didn't seem right for a moment. I was wrong, of course. What is he referring to? Something being the fact that we have a ticket to a stranger's train? Or there's many things that she could infer by something? Does she ask him that? I would say something doesn't seem right. I would say, yes, something doesn't seem right. A stranger came up and pretended to be part of our party, then accepted gifts that were not his due. Oh, come on, Xanatari. You'd do the same for one of these tickets. <laughs> Says it's just holding it and staring at it and grinning. I don't think he... I think he could have the ticket, but he has to prove himself first. Everybody else is searching for an elf or doing some sort of... Uh, some task to prove their worthiness. He gets to go in based on our reputation, which he has not earned. Osric actually looks between the ticket in his hand and the tankard of ale that he has, and he goes, The situation, he seemed too much like some of the caravanners I've dealt with in the past, and 
there seemed to be some, eh, I thought some half-truths. thought some potential problems. Just a little too much time on the road. Oh, hmm. Well, yes. And he, he actually offers you the, the ticket back. I would take the ticket and turn to Cesar with a sort of mischievous look in my eye and say, what do you think uh, he should do to earn such a valuable reward? Hmm. Well, it was given to us for, or it was given to, it was given to him for being part of, of our group. So, uh, essentially he took the place of Thorn. So I guess he would have to, uh, mistakenly (laughs) injure someone grievously. Um, maybe look around at those shadows over there. Um, perhaps he could something from us. Have someone stabbed unexpectedly. Have a weird, creepy pet with a stupid name. (laughs) Roll around in the dirt until he smells. (laughs) <laughs> suddenly, this, suddenly this feels like a roast <laughs> well I, I'll leave this up to you. you you can choose what he does in order to replace Thor he, he actually uh, in handing back the ticket seems to necessarily not have any sort of look of displeasure on his face or whatever he seems pretty well content to moving on there's a clear sense that his position was when he came over was that if anything happened he was going to jump on it and give and put himself in front of a situation so now that that situation's gone he seemed to have been studying Chris Kringle and got whatever he needed and immediately his sort of suspicion of him dropped so he's kind of got it he starts to go into a uh you know, another bow, and you sort of see his feet turn so that he can head back into the crowd. Well, I'm curious. I mean, he seemed to think that there was something slightly off about this, this you know, venture in itself. He, you're saying now he doesn't find that to be so? He seems that um, his suspicions for at least what he thought was going to happen um, – Past that time passed or whatever he got for information or what he thinks, but whatever he thought was going to happen didn't. So now he's sort of looking for what the next thing might be. It's sort of kind of a caravanner thing. You don't necessarily worry about what's been behind you unless you can see the, see something, mm-hmm. you know, trail of smoke or whatever, but you're more focused on everything that's kind of going around, around you. So he seemed to actually be trying to block a threat or what was perceived as a threat. Once it's not his mannerism changed, you know, he gave the, he gave you the ticket without like being an ass or anything. But now he seems to be heading off either with his mug or um, for some other purpose that may have caught his eye. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what to say to that, except he's already walking away. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't even know where Thorn is. Do you? Xanatari? Uh, no, he seemed rather uh, uninterested in the holiday and eager to go off and, you know, explore on his own in the town. He didn't seem to want to celebrate, you know, this. So we just left him, I just left him be, you know, go off to be by himself as he liked. I don't don't know if he'll even benefit from this ticket and uh, this fellow here, uh... Uh, over there, walking away, he he certainly displayed some measure of boldness, which I, I think all of us can appreciate in our own right. Uh, 
I don't oh, see I the harm. I have no problem with him having a ticket. I just think he needs to be hazed first. That's, that's my only uh, thought on it. He needs to what? <laughs> he needs to prove himself by by some amusing means. Um. Okay. Uh. Hey, little dude. Do you want this ticket? Ostrich turns and looks and goes. One adventure is the same as the other, but you know this one appears to be unique. Do you need me? What sort of caravan were you involved with? Gems and other items, mostly spices. But uh, we were on one of the more dangerous routes and had a high deal of brigands and lizard folk to deal with. Somewhere in the distance you hear Thorn go, Gems? <laughs> but we'll, <laughs> well, we'll leave that for... He swoops overhead. <laughs> There are there are caverns and there are caravans in Winter Haven that leave that are heavily armored, mm-hmm. um, and some that leave that are extremely fast. And it is rumored that the heavily armored ones are decoys, and the really expensive stuff is on the fast the fast trains. Well, Zenatari feels as though you know maybe something was not handled very well with this ridiculous amulet that Thorn had made based on the uh, the stone uh, back when we were in the Underdark area. And maybe some things weren't handled as well as they should have been. So she's been thinking about this for a little while and, you know, considering having a discussion with him about that and the way she handled that. So at this point, you know, She's interested in a possible, you know, midwinter Christmas gift for Thorn. So this makes her perk up and become slightly more interested because I would like perhaps an assessment of the amethyst that was found in the eye of the giant rockworm and also interested in possibly getting more gems. Okay. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So I guess that I asked him, I guess I would ask him, you know, what, what his personal skills are, uh, with gem working, being a dwarf, she would make some base assumptions about his, uh, his mining Racist. abilities. <laughs> miners, not miners. He kind of squints his eye for, eyes for a moment and, uh, he nods and goes, before my squireship, I was, uh, apprenticed to a jewel smith and, Work closely with the the jewelers guild, and for some reason they felt that uh, my talents for being able to um, keep hold of prized gems was more important than my ability to fully cut and uh, mold them into pure works of art. But you know, if if you have something to look at for me to look at, I'll be happy to give you my assessment. She would bring out the amethyst uh, in her bag, which she keeps close to where the valuables they carry, and I guess have him take a look at it and see what he thinks. I mean, it, it came from a, an interesting source, so. Okay. Um, does it still have all the necklace stuff about it? Oh, no. He had given me the heart of, what was the robot? Something X, whatever. I mean, Razor. 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 Um, he had given me Razor's heart, a stone that powered Razor. So that was mm-hmm. that was the necklace, but this was what I had gotten as when we were riding the rock, uh, rock mm-hmm. worm, and that had fallen out, you know, when he disappeared. So this is a different thing than I have two things. I have okay. a, a giant bling piece of ridiculous 
heart of Fraser, and then I have an amethyst. He takes the um, the piece that's from the elemental, and he sort of turns his he sort of pulls his shield up partially over his head and kind of eyeballs it and makes a scratch on the inside of uh, his shield, and it doesn't so much cut as swims through the metal, which kind of surprises mm-hmm. him a little bit. Um, and when he pulls it away, he kind of you know burnishes where he did and finds that there's not actually a scratch. Takes down, kind of sniffs at it, looks it around, and um, kind of throws. He's got this sort of great cloak over him, and he opens it up, and you see that he's pretty much encased in armor. Reaches into one of his bags and pulls out um, this block of glass and kind of holds it up and starts looking at, at the gem all over. And... He goes, this came from something. This was something that was carried and moved through the earth instead of mind. Then I suppose we would begin exchanging war stories. Remember that one time where we rode the giant rock elemental after we had taken down the drow in the Underdark and snuck our way through to the God of the Dead, and, you know, um, the ale involved. But he sort of, I guess, looks at your eye. Did you actually tell him all that stuff? Or sure. Do you, okay. Um, he goes and he nods. To some, this would be a cursed item. It's not natural. It hasn't had chance to sit and become part of, become part of the Earth, but... This one, hmm, this one's great value. Should be a trophy hung up somewhere. <laughs> okay. All right. I would feel like, thanks, and take it back, not gaining any knowledge from the exchange. Well, um, seeing, kind of seeing that on your face, he'd go, it's, it's worth quite a bit of money to the right sort of collector, but there's something more that might be made of it. It's a pretty powerful chunk if you just want money. Okay. Cesar? What? Do you have anything uh, <laughs> useful that you would like to find from this dwarf or any sort of tasks that you feel he could accomplish for um, you to feel he's earned this ticket? Well, I, I think in, in spirit of, uh, of what's going on around us and the festivities, I, I see here he, he has a you know a, a bit of a taste for ale. How about a, a good old fashioned drinking contest? The three Ooh. of us. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Speaking sounds of tins and dwarves, let's have wine. Yep. <laughs> Carry on. All right, guys. So um, I'm going to give uh, 50 experience points to Ostrich. Uh, Pretty good explanation of the whole gem analysis process. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, and then 50 experience points to both Zenatari and Cesar because you roleplayed excellently and I didn't have to talk once. And <laughs> <laughs> Cool beads. All right, sweet deal. So, yeah, drinking contest. Here's, here's how it's going to go. You're going to roll endurance checks. If you fail... You take one step towards becoming a drunk. <laughs> if you succeed, you keep quaffing. Person to quaff the most drinks 
in uh, or get three fouls. Uh, will be the, the the three fouls will be the loser, and that'll be time the person with the most strings. Okay. Okay. So the way it's going to work, it's just a, no- a, a normal check. Above ten is a pass. Below ten is a is a fail. No modifiers. So let's go. Starting with the uh, let's starting with the person that suggested the idea. Cesar, you can take the first drink. Okay. Cesar uh, says no time like the present and uh, snags a, a flagon and and downs it with a natural one. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Cesar is out of the competition. Cesar was pre-gaming a little too hard for this one, I think. Ostrich. Go Go ahead, go ahead. No, go go ahead, ahead. please. No, please, go ahead. I I insist. Dungeon Master says go. Osric kind of gets seems to get the clue as to what's going on pretty quickly here. And um, has gone over, and you kind of hear and see um, golden spurs on his boots as they sort of clink, clink over to the nearest table. And he grabs in his hands the handles for five flagons. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then comes back over and offers two to Xanatari. Okay. I, I, she would take them without a great deal of confidence, since she doesn't drink a whole lot. Um, but knowing that she is fairly large compared to, you know, this dwarf, and perhaps not having a lot of experience with his people, she would, uh, take them. Okay. Do it! Do it! Alright, let's finish this natural one. So, Cesar, describe to me how epically you fail at drinking this one, one tankard. So, as I, pouring it down my gullet, uh, Cesar, he, um, uh, starts feeling the effects and, and is standing, you know, solidly, but he begins to step side to side and, uh, and basically he's had, uh, already been, been, you know, enjoying the revelry a bit too much. So he's sort of at a disadvantage to begin with. And this already puts him over the edge, in fact. So he, uh, Starts stumbling around, uh, ends up just sloshing half of it down the, his front, but it doesn't matter at that point. Um, he doesn't pass out, but he is um, well within the the realms of inebriated, um, and he is excited for the competition to continue, not knowing that he is uh, basically done at this point. All right. Um, let's, let's go ahead, um, Challenger. So, Ostrich, take your roll. 18. You, you pass a drink. Zenotari, take a roll. <laughs> Two. You take one step towards inebriation. Ostrich. 13. Takes another drink. He's up to two. Wait, it was my it was my turn. <laughs> to, to drink, and he has nothing in his hand. Says it takes a drink. Takes a drink of air. Yes. Twelve. One drink. Ostrich. Ho ho! Natural, Natural twenty. 20. Of yep. course. All right. 
so this is a win. This is you. We're going to describe how epic this is. So describe to me how does Ostrich win this? What is his coup de gras of this drinking competition? Ostrich has had his two mugs, one in each hand. He reaches over, smashes both flagons on the back of his shield. <laughs> he has the third one. He finishes, slams that one on the back. Gently reaches out, takes Xanatari's flagon that she has just finished, drinks it down, slams that over the back of his shield, then walks over to Cesar's, where he's standing and his flagon is kind of just sitting there. At the same time, he takes out a few what appear to be seeds or mm-hmm. capsules, capsules. Pops them in his mouth, and you hear this audible crunch and this sort of strange, spicy smell. Mm-hmm. Takes Cesar's mug and starts to down it. Completely downs it before inhaling, reaching over, grabbing one of the nearest torches on one of the tables, <laughs> holding it in front of his mouth and exhaling with a mighty dwarven belch. That lights on fire. <laughs> nice. And then he looks at Cesar and he goes, I had to protect you from yourself. Before slamming the mug flagon. And you realize it's not a disrespect to his house because there's, there's some dents in there or whatever his signal is. But every single one lands squarely on the heraldry on his shield. Okay. With the entire spectacle, you've drawn a small crowd of people. Who, with the, the finality of the, the fire breath, the fire belch, as it would be, uh, they all applaud. Um, some slightly drunken, uh, and impressed. Others are just wowed by the fact that it was this massive plume of fire coming from a, a dwarf. So, uh, great. Well done. A uh, hundred experience points, cause I'm just gonna give them away. It's like, uh, <laughs> whose DND is it anyway, where the points or the experience points don't matter. <laughs> I think it's more right. like D and D Oprah. D and D Oprah, you <laughs> under your experience. seat. You can have some experience. Everybody, look under your seat. There's a thousand experience for everybody. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Woo! Nice. Cool. Now let's go to a really feel-good story about an orphan who finds experience points in a bin and shares it with the world. <laughs> if he's back, if he's back with fifty experience points before the hour is out, does he get an extra shilling? Uh, I'm pretty sure we could. I'm pretty sure we could. Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's move this along. All right. Cool. So you hear the sound of a ringing bell after a couple of hours, uh, which marks an hour before departure, and to announce boarding for those already lucky individuals to have obtained a ticket. So uh, I assume that Ostrich has well earned his ticket for the train. He has. His drunken display of of talent has impressed Zanatari, who grasps him by the forearm and uh, shakes his hand. Kind of slurring her words, Angel gets his wings. Xanatari's mm. not going to be so lonely. <laughs> well, uh, would you say that Thorn would be proud of this spectacle? I think so. There was I no, he... there was no safe falling, which is kind of his specialty of, of impressiveness. But the fire, he would enjoy that. I, I think he would have been a little bit disappointed that he wasn't invited. But, but. Let's say somewhere, somewhere, he's holding his own drinking competition with himself. We should have poured uh, one out for Thorn. We could have poured one on the ground. <laughs> I did. Thorn. I poured did it you? all over myself. Yeah, he kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of did. All right. 
So, let's see. Um, you make your way with relative ease to the station. The building standing out even more at night. It is already night, but, you know. Uh, with incandescent chandeliers causing the dome roof to glow. Uh, illuminating the small specks of fresh snowfall on the glass, which uh, melt instantly. The station radiates light with no sign of frost marring the external branch archways. Uh, entering the doorway, you can see that the platform is not quite complete. Uh, the large, there are large piles uh, with quantities of building materials still lying around. One such pile intrigues uh, you magic users most of all, made up of long rails with flanges that uh, allow securing bolts. Directly along the top of the rounded piece of rail are a sequence of strange runes and glyphs, some kind of language of the north you can assume, because you have never seen metallic material quite like this. Arcana check. Flanges. Go. Flanges. Okay, 21. 21? 27. Uh, Ostrich? I'm going to be... I'm going to be interested in the glass and other things and leave the uh, check alone. Sure, I'll come back to you in just a sec. So, what you guys sense uh, is is odd. It's uh, kind of like a metal that is a conduit for magical energy. And you can you detect that there is actually, and it's not hidden, a dormant levitation spell that activates when infused. So the metal actually acts as a, a kind of channel for magical energy and activates any dormant spells that lie within. It's quite interesting. Uh, it's uh, it's often used uh, for holding spells, uh, sort of something that you might recall from tales and other things of magical amulets or rings that, that hold a spell within them, and when they're used uh, with innate magical ability, they cause a, a magnificent effect. Um, and this is that material, but you've never seen quite an abundance of it uh, in one place. So that... steal any? <laughs> uh, you can you can certainly try. The rails are, are fairly long. We're talking about yeah. three, four foot in length. Yeah. Um. So you could you could certainly try if you'd like no. to. Um. It's not worth the risk. It does it hold any spell and it and uh, basically you know enhance that or is it keyed to a specific spell and locked to that spell? Essentially, it can. Uh, you can swap the spells out just with a sequence of of. Uh, runes or enchantment, um, and each one is sort of overlays the the other. So, for example, you could take a dormant the the, the levitation spell and and put something else on it. You know, you, someone could put a fire burst spell and cause yeah. it to burst into fire. Doesn't seem like a good plan. Although, th- here's here's the thing with these ones, you can you actually sense uh, like a layer of security over it, like they've spell locked these 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 metals. Um, you know they're 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 highly forged and fashioned. They're they're the the height of, um, you know, artifice. Mm. You know, they're, they're, these have been made and and perfected over many many years. These aren't just your ordinary metal rails. These are something that go be far beyond anything that you could see any craftsman achieving in Winterhaven. Mm. Um, that being said, says so I'm going to get you to roll a, a perception check for me, mate. Okay. Natural one. <laughs> oh, it's a good night for Cesar. He's still drunk. Yeah. Yeah, you, you at least. That or the hangover is that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as you're walking along, you trip over a lump on the ground and don't even see that there is a small ingot of the metal 
lying next to the <sighs> the pile that is used for repairs. Ooh. Um, in for the for the metal. So that's a shame. It's tough. Says but, a, a, kicks the uh the pile that he thinks he trips on tripped on and bashes his toe and grabs it in pain and yowls and hops away. If he was in any risk, by the way, of him falling onto the track or something along those lines, uh, let me know. I've got an ability that would have intercepted. Sure. Um, from what you see, though, the rail is actually on the same level as the walkway. There is there is no sort of dual rail. It's just one sort of monorail type setup. Um, and looking at the device, which is resting on top of the, the rail at the moment, uh, you can only see any wheels or anything like that um, that would cause any any harm. Um, but yeah, it's it's there just in case. So you walk up to the what you see is velvet ropes, which essentially uh, mark out where the the queue is. And as you approach, you see that no one else has quite arrived yet, or if they have, they're already on the train. Uh, an attendant elf approaches you and asks for your tickets. Yeah. Okay, my ticket. So, yeah. So, producing your tickets, uh, he smiles silently and asks you asks you to follow, leading you down the length of the transport to uh, about midway, um, passing many many lines of you know product and 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 carry carriages, you know things that have goods in them for for transport and the like. You know, it's still a work in process. Pro- uh, no progress. This rail. Cutting things back and forth, they're obviously adding more lines to to the to the network, but they're they're using this train to carry goods back and forth at the moment. Um, he assists each of you up on a small ladder into a luxury carriage, with comfort uh, with a comfortable booth and couches and a small bar attended by a smartly dressed gnome. So you now have free run of the carriage. What would you like to do? Let's start with Ostrich. Osric seeing that Cesar is uh, feeling a little under under the weather and stuff um, due to the liquor and other good cheer, walks over and from another pouch pulls out another set of caplets and offers them towards Cesar. Wow, what what's this? Trying to trying to drug me, are you, huh? Indeed, wanna, I am. Want to want to get me into bed with you, don't you? No, I no. don't blame you. <laughs> no, but yes, I am trying to drug you. We use these when there's other maladies or other problems that have come about. Uh, we take these and soon feel better. Hmm. Uh, it's either that or I backhand you with my glove to bring you about. Cesar hast- nicer. hastily takes the the pills he, from him. And uh, sort of looks them over, uh, uh, sniffs at them. I don't know if there's some sort of check I could do to see if I can confirm sure. that it's not, you know. Uh, roll, roll perception for me. Perception. Okay. Let's go for another natural one. How about it? Natural one. For real? Natural one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh. <laughs> These are different dice, too. I am not going to punish you too severely. Uh, sniffing at them. All you can really tell, smell is the ale on your hand, uh, <laughs> and f- emanating from your robes. Um, <laughs> uh, but they seem pretty safe. They're just they're you know inconspicuous. They don't look like they're anything that would kill you. 
Um, but I will get you to roll a endurance check for me as soon as you ingest them. All right. Totally new die. Let's see what we got. Six plus nine. Fifteen. Fifteen. That's mm-hmm. enough. Uh, basically, you don't feel any sort of effects from the, from the, uh, pill, but you do feel, uh, slightly more, uh, sober from it. Um, you also get uh, very, very achy joints all of a sudden. What's new? No, it's, what's new? Uh, it's <laughs> like <laughs> it's like having very, very bad arthritis on a cold oh, okay. winter's night. Worse, oh, worse than what you've right. usually got. Feels like a so, thunderstorm's coming. Yes. <laughs> so you're going to feel the effects of this for for a little bit. Xanatar <laughs> okay. is going to sit in the corner, like swirling her finger. And playing with a little bit of lightning just to kind of remind you that she is a cleric and could probably make you feel better, but letting you suffer because you've decided to go this route and just wondering what's going to happen. I think Cesar's seen that the town's Christmas tree is actually um, a drow that's been trussed up with a you know bright halo <laughs> on and is hey now illuminated. <laughs> Again, one little mistake. <laughs> yeah, you surely lit that trail. <laughs> Righto. Um, after a short amount of time, um, the, the, the attendant departs, asking whether you need anything else from, from him at all. Uh, yes, I was uh, wondering, are, are, we, uh, are we confined to this area of the, the, the transport, or are we free to... to uh look about i'd like to get more of a sense of of how this uh this uh, apparatus works uh he he knows and he says you do have free reign of the train however uh it is best that you under you wait until we have started to undertake the journey and we are on our on our course you will get a notification as soon as the train is ready for your roaming okay are there windows on this train there certainly are. There, there are actually many windows lining the train. It's actually made of the same material of uh, glass that uh, Ostrich was looking at. Which, by the way, coincidentally, while you were looking at them in the the uh, building, while they were um, looking at the detector rails, uh, you notice that the the glass actually uh, runs warm. It has its own natural warmth that it, it uh, provides. It's almost less glass and more crystal. Uh, because it has the the ability to transmit energy, and uh, as you draw close to it with your uh, knowledge of gems and all things underground, you would detect that they're actually vibrating at a at a very low frequency, um, something that most crystals wouldn't normally do, um, which is actually allowing them to illuminate and produce light. Um, it's like a, a strange sort of crystalline uh, bioluminescence. Um, that and it's actually interacting with the brass and uh, extending its warmth through the brass to maintain it uh, glowing. So it's uh, it's it's an odd, odd crystal. You've never seen it before. Uh, it's it's very new to you. Uh, you couldn't uh, identify it or place it because you haven't ever seen it in this this fashion before. Okay. May I Again, respond to it, that? Oh, you yeah. Well, okay. uh, I was just gonna say. Um, Again, it is of high quality ma- uh, craftsmanship, uh, something that is produced by a, a master artisan. Um, you've never seen it down this far uh, south before, uh, but you may have seen it in your travels elsewhere. 
Okay. Um, for those that are paying attention to him as he's sort of kind of tracing his finger along, um, it looks like he's touching the glass, but you realize that he's got such control over this armored hand that he has that there's he's not actually touching it. But after a little bit of study out in the train station and now in here, he actually beams a genuine smile of satisfaction. But to okay. anyone paying attention, um, the level of armor that he's wearing, he shouldn't be able to move this deftly. But he's moving as if, um, like Thorne, when he wears leather armor or something like that, this is... Uh, some pretty beefy stuff, but he's he's moving around pretty gracefully and not bumping into things. Okay. Zenitari is going to open one of the windows and basically climb halfway out, kind of hanging over the edge, staring at the railing. And she's very curious about this whole arcane ability of this metal and, you know, wants to learn more about that, wants to meet the spellcasters and would love to have some of it. So she's going to watch it closely to see when it activates and try to get a sense of how this is working. Sure. Okay, so um, as you lean out, you can actually see uh, attendants for the train snapping doors shut um, and preparing the train for for travel. Um, You hear the door to your carriage click shut as well. And after a short amount of time, three short bells announce departure. At first, nothing happens. Then the carriage lights flicker on, so brighter than, than what they were. It was just ambient light to begin with. And then a gentle whirring can be heard, building in intensity. Looking out over, out the window, uh, you can see the ground lifting away and then pausing at the train uh, as the train reaches its optimum travel height. You feel an energy pulse through the floor of the carriage, and then within the blink of an eye, you are passing into the surrounding forest of Winterhaven. So looking down, you could actually see a very pale blue uh, light emanating um, from beneath the the train, almost the same color as the fog in the undead zones that you uh, had witnessed hmm. um, in the forest. Um and it's it's glowing, and it's actually interacting with the rail. You can see the the rails ahead lighting up um, before the train approaches. Um, the The train itself is just a, a magical engine, uh, producing uh, large amounts of magical energy and feeding it into the rail to activate the rail ahead of it to keep it uh, levitating as it moves forward. Um, from the back, you can see that there are also um, some sort of propulsion system that is pushing you forward um, that doesn't, you know, it disregards any sort of weight or or physical mechanics that require it to to speed up or slow down. This this can this thing can essentially start and stop on a dime. Okay. Is there any feeling of inertia, or you have to kind of balance as it's moving? Strangely, not. It's almost just like standing in a in a room. There's there's no sense of inertia. There's no pull on you. Um, and it almost feels like it's being shielded and, and, and pushed away from you. Um, looking out from the sides of the carriages, you can see that there is a slight distortion to the air, um, as you, as you travel, but you, you, you still feel things like wind and the cold on your face. It's not stopping the elements from, from reaching you. Um, that being said, the, the carriage does get colder because there is a window open, um, in, in the, in the train. So uh, the cold winter air is, is blowing in. 
Oscar okay. is going to go down and sit on one of the couches. Sure. Um, cool. So, uh, is there anything else that you guys would like to do? You're, you're looking out the windows and Atari says, or what about you? What would you like well, to do? As soon as the, oh, wait, I'm supposed to wait to hear those. Wait, are those the bells we heard? That not means... quite, not quite yet. You'll get, yeah. you'll get an, uh, a further announcement once it's, it's kind of like I the, can... the seatbelts, the seatbelts off say, we on, can, a, on we the airplane. Can, we can put our trays down once they, once they tell us. Okay. So, um, Cesar will, will pace about. Um, antsy to uh, to uh, take a look around, but uh, you know, exp- maybe uh, grab. Uh, you said there's a, a bar or something. Maybe go up to the the gnome and ask if there's something to to eat to sort of uh, aid the recuperative effects of the of the dwarf pills. He he offers you anything that you would you you desire. Anything that you would like to eat, it is yours. Um. I'll just uh you know have a uh hunk of bread if you have if you have it. Um he reaches down and you see from one compartment he opens a door and you you get this wave of of heat as if opening an oven and he pulls out a fresh loaf of bread. Um and he places it on a on a tray and presents it to you on on the counter. Oh, thank you. And he uh he picks it up and sort of just grabs it and rips it in half and, and starts chewing on one of the ends. Sure. So, after a few more minutes, uh, you hear a scream from the carriage further on. This is not the notification, but it is so- there is something direly wrong, uh, as you could probably tell. <laughs> Best Next notification you- ever. You can leave your seat. <laughs> Followed by the pounding of feet outside your carriage door. So you are in a carriage and it is sort of split. There is a, a, a line or a corridor that goes alongside the carriage to allow passage back and forth. Um, and you hear basically the pounding of feet outside your carriage door. Uh, you open the door and push past the last of the escaping passengers, um, seeing them flee back towards the carriages behind you, towards the storage carriages. So away from the screen. Away from the screen. Okay. Uh, what would you like to do? Head toward the screen. Head towards the screen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, before you, you see a door um, and a precarious path that navigates between the two carriages. Uh, you traverse it quite easily. And entering the next carriage, which is a large open carriage uh, for general admission with uh, many booths lining you know, the sides of the, the, the train with a path down the middle, you see four cloaked figures brandishing swords at a group of elven guards who are bound together with rope. One lies dead, slumped against a wall, a slender sword skewered through his chest. Another badly wounded, clutching and nursing large open and bleeding gashes. With the door bursting open and reacting to the intrusion, the leader of the figures turns to regard the party. His compatriots twisting their heads to keep him within their peripheral vision to acknowledge any commands. They keep their weapons trained on the hostage guards, threatening to run them through without a second glance. The captain uses quick hand gestures, and two of the cloaked figures move forward with their captain to engage you, the third staying back to keep the hostages in check. Everyone roll initiative, please. (gasps) Alright. What kind of Christmas adventure would this be if I didn't have combat? I actually have combat due to uh, class, so I have combat advantage on... um 
combat advantage on them, but otherwise I roll a 16. A 16? Thank you. I'm going to find a pen. 11. Cool. Cool. We've got 16. We've got 11, says what? 12. 12. Cool. And... Okay, cool. Um, so, in this case here, I'm going to have to roll as well. Give me a second here. Talk amongst yourselves. We're going to do that. And we've got a... Ooh. Oh, well, that's going... Yeah. Cool. Muttering to myself. That's the best way. That's what I usually do in my games when I, uh, when I DM. I, I talk to myself. Cool. All right. So that's the... That. Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. So the first person will be the captain. Uh, the captain is going to go first. Uh, but f- before any of that happens, one of the guards gets a natural one and due to clumsiness or due to the fact that he may be a new recruit, kind of trips up on himself and, and, and lunges forward or actually trips forward, but you, you take it as a lunge and, uh, the sword actually sails straight past your shoulder, Ostrich. Okay. Um, you have a chance to react at this moment. Okay. Um, in transferring from car to car, he sort of pulled up the hood of his gray cloak up over his helm and um, taken his shield off. And you sort of realize that he's now more resembling kind of a boulder. <laughs> and seeing him in this thing uh, gives you a sense of confidence, more a greater sense of confidence going into this fight. You actually have, um, you're now under the effects of a um, defender or, mm-hmm. and uh, any enemy will take a negative two penalty to attack. But he settles in and um, pretty much does a, uses his shield block to further try and deflect the um, bolt from even potentially hitting one of the people that he's with, Xanatari or Cesar. Okay. Um, you do it easily. It was a clumsy, not even strike, it was just a slip forward, um, which he turned into like a forward thrust at the last minute to sort of preserve himself from, from looking like an idiot um, amongst his guards, uh, which failed terribly um, and gets parried and gets knocked aside, um, which has made him dazed. So he... Uh, basically moves a little bit slower and he uh, doesn't hit as hard for a couple of turns. All right. Going straight into it, the captain looking at his at his fellow guard and just giving him a sour look um, moves in on you, Cesar, and he swings. Uh, and he, he swings and he rolls a... Uh, that's... What is it? That's, uh, math. I hate this. It's great. 22. Versus your armor. That is a miss. A miss? Mm-hmm. Uh, the sword clangs against your armor, uh, essentially, uh, or even just misses entirely, and you take no damage. Um, straight into it, uh, it's Ostrich's turn. Um, with kind of a dwarvish shout, um, suddenly his great cloak... Suddenly, the uh, the various fur bits on it spring up. You realize it actually sort of looks like a bunch of needles. Mm-hmm. And on the front of his shield, 
uh, that has um, part of the heraldry is a large porcupine. Mm-hmm. Those flick out and he goes wading into the um, mix of them, trying to kind of harry and harass, and goes to strike with uh, from behind his shield. You see the hammer come whipping out, but he's, he keeps the shield up to try and make as much of a target of himself versus the party to try and strike the one that's being extremely clumsy. Okay. Um, roll. Just uh, D20 will be fine. Forty-five. Jeez. Forty-five. Forty-five is he definitely hits. a hit. How much damage do you do? And who are you striking? Are you striking one of the guards or the captain? I'm striking whichever one um, sought to cause injury to the party first. So that really inept one. That's kind of okay. Cool. So the inept guard. Yep. Cool. Not a problem. Seventeen points of damage. Seventeen. That brings you down to good math. Right. So uh, you strike, and you actually you feel um, you feel some resistance. Um, they're not wearing just any normal armor. Again, this is uh, an expedition that are, that is prepared for uh, stiff resistance. So uh, <laughs> I'm throwing these in there just for you guys, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you you meet you meet uh, the the guard's armor. Though he is clumsy, he is well protected. Um, but you do feel a few of the the plates from his armor crumple and bend beneath your blow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he staggers to one side, or already dazed from your your retaliatory strike. You know this is just further to unbalance him, and he falls over, prone. Okay, so next up is Cesar. Alright, so uh, seeing Osric wade into the, the thick of the fray, he sees him as a good uh, um, sort of focal point of this one uh, attack they did. I don't think he's ever actually used before. It's called Gale Force Infusion. Uh, he uh, pulls out a, a little doodad uh, and uh, sticks it onto the end of a, a bolt. He loads it in and, and fires it actually at uh, Osric aiming to, to land on his armor or his shield somewhere and it sticks on and it immediately starts emitting these large gusts of wind uh, and it targets actually each enemy uh, in an area burst to centered on Osric. Okay, so it'll pretty much hit everyone. Okay. So it is uh, versus Reflex. How many guards are there? There's three of them at the moment plus the one that's holding hostage. So, what, the captain and then three guards? Captain and three guards. Okay, so let's roll, I'll, I'll roll captain first. That would be 27 versus reflex. Yep. Uh, guard one, let's say it's the one that Ostrich hit. That would be uh, 35 versus reflex. Uh-huh. The other guard nearby, 35 versus reflex. And then the one guarding the hostage, 36 versus reflex. Okay, cool. They all hit. Okay. Uh, it does 1d10 plus intelligence modifier damage. So where's my d10? Where are you? There you are. 
So it deals eight damage to all of them, and I can mm-hmm. slide them two squares. So um, I'm actually going to pull them all within range of Osric, except for the one guarding the hostage. I'm just going to push him as far away from the hostage as possible. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you something that is a little bit... Um, you know, not quite uh, usual. Um, I'm actually going to reward you as if you uh, hit a critical because of the, the interaction with, with Ostrich. The guard... Um, that is holding the hostages up the back actually gets sucked out of the door um, with the, the gale burst wind bursting it open and blowing the, the guard back and out of the carriageway. Does he emit a Wilhelm scream? Mm-hmm. He yes. does. Good. It's a, ah! Yes. Good. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, as a side effect as well, Osric uh, gains uh, three... A plus three power bonus to AC until the end of my next turn. Okay, cool. There you go. All right, Zanatari, you're up. Okay, frustrated with the fact that she can't use her lightning uh, attacks uh, due to the fact that the train is made of metal and we're on metal rails and realizing this fact, uh, Zanatari roars loudly, taking her shield out and slamming her... Uh, short sword onto it, creating a roar of thunder that echoes down uh, the train caravan towards the enemies. Um, let's see, this is her divine wrath, and I'm going to roll against... Well, how many squares away is is the captain from me? Uh, he's about two squares. Okay, so I'm going to aim for him. I'd like to do a minor as well, but I'm just mentioning it. Sure, uh, okay. Okay, so I'm going to roll against him. Oops. Haha. <laughs> 35 versus AC. It's Okay, 3d8 versus 7. 12. 19 damage. 19 damage? Oh, I have to use my calculator for some clumps. I can prepare. Because math. Alright, cool. Alright, so uh, describe your blow for me. Uh, basically, the the sound wave of thunder is going to fly towards him, kind of taking him aback, having him pause a second as I fly toward him with my short sword out. I'm going to bash him in the face with my shield and take a swing uh, looking for vital parts because she's pretty angry at this point. Cool. Alright, so you would actually cleave through his chest armor and, and leave part of it hanging um, from him, which he then cuts away with his own blade, um, unhindered. Uh, he's uh, a little bit tougher than, than the usual guards. He's uh, f- uh, quite, quite the ve- veteran and uh, has seen his fair share of, of battle and war. Um, though it, it does affect him. You, you do notice that you've drawn a, a, a crimson line across his body um, that is bleeding through the armor quite, quite badly. Uh, but he ignores it and he, and he battles on. Um, staggers back a little bit just from the blow. The next time uh, myself or an ally hits this target before the start of my next turn, he will take an extra 5 thunder damage also. Alrighty, cool. Alright. Um, can I throw my minor? You can certainly throw your minor. Which of the uh, guards, the elven guards, is the most injured? Um, at the moment, probably the one that is uh, bleeding against the wall. 
Okay. I'm going to throw my healing word, minor action, on myself or one ally in the burst. He's going to be the ally, obviously. He can spend a healing surge, regain 1d6 additional hit points. Okay. Uh, he'll gain hit points with my d6. Cool. That's fine. Uh, he recovers enough. You see the wounds close over um, beneath his hands. Um, though he is still quite exhausted and winded from blood loss. Uh, he then makes his way, crawling um, to avoid... Uh, detection from the 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 hooded figures, um, giving you a slight nod and making his way towards the bound guards. All right, cool. Um, now, one of the guards uh, still has yet to attack, so the other guard uh, swings at you, Zanatari, um, looking to avenge the the. The, the one that you blow, that was sort of blown out the door um, by the attackers. Okay. So he'll swing at you, and he will do six points of damage. Okay. By the way, Thorn, as you can mm-hmm. see in um, chat, I actually have a at will yep. that I'd like to make use of. You certainly can. Um. I'm going to, as he goes, as that guard goes and attacks Xanatari, it leaves him open, and you sort of, just for the the, the thorn effect here, with his uh, cloak and everything that he's got going, he looks more and more like a porcupine than a dwarf at this point. But the hammer comes out around the shield again and does, and just the head of the hammer, not the sides, goes barreling into um, the face, tries to put it into the face of uh, the the bandit that just attacked. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Um, You get to roll for that one. Okay. That is a 29. Hits. Okay. Fourteen plus. Did I have a power bonus from? Yeah, you plus uh, five thunder damage if you're hitting captain. Which one are you hitting? Oh, not the captain. No, then. Just not the captain. So fourteen. Fourteen. Yep. Cool. All right. So you uh you you give him a solid blow um up beneath the the chin, uh, knocking or snapping his head back. Um, However, after after the blow, he he sort of looks back down at you, um, and you see he's a sort of almost glowing from beneath the the cowl, although very pale green um, from the eyes, and uh, he looks down at you and uh, he sneers at you, um, almost a growl, and sort of kicks you away a little bit trying to get a little bit of distance using you more of, of uh, as a platform um, to to get away from you and he will take how much damage did he take 19 what was it 19 yeah. it would be 14 oh, if it... oh, 14 yeah okay cool all right bring him down to that all right and finally uh, the last guard basically goes to take a swing at at uh, Porcupine Dude, Ostrich, uh, and fails miserably. Still dazed. He basically is lying on his back. He's making a fool of himself, and he sort of swipes out at your ankles, and his sword comes clattering against your armoured boot, 
Uh, his his arms were reverberating from the from the strike, uh, and continues to lie on the ground, dazed and stupid. <laughs> so much so that he's actually going to injure himself by doing that, bringing him down a little bit more. All right, let's go back straight to the captain again. The captain uh, is is not impressed at the fact that you're you're making short work of his uh, his fellow group and takes to Ostrich with a swing uh, rolling a 25 versus your AC doesn't even doesn't even come <laughs> close kind of figured um, he uh, he is his blow connects but is stopped short by the sheer amount of armor that you're wearing and he's, he almost looks at you in surprise, uh, as like he's just struck a, an anvil with a sword or struck, um, the side of a mountain. Um, he's almost disgusted at the sheer amount of armor that you're wearing, feeling that it's, uh, <laughs> that it's just Jesus. over the top. Over yeah. Hell. This, like, even for his, uh, very pale standards and, and stance on, 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 on cheating and fairness, he thinks this is not fair at all. Um, that being said, he uh, he's not going to complain. He's fought harder battles. He's fought larger creatures, and he's going to continue on. Um, but Ostrich, you'll have a chance to respond. Okay, using the classic, Oi, you call that a knife? This is a knife. I'm going to go, and I will actually smile up from underneath the cowl at the guard captain and shake my head no towards him and then respond to him with what I hope to be a proper example of a melee strike and mm-hmm. take the quills of my shield and shove them into, as a basic melee attack, into um, the exposed area that he had cut off trying to aim for the heart. Go for it. I picture like a Koopa. Are you like a Koopa? <laughs> You know, it's kind of a Koopa, but with spikes. So probably the spiky Koopa. Which and that's turtle. Less turtle and more beard. Let's see. That is... A 31. Certainly does strike. However, the guard is, is battle-wary and is sort of ready for your retali- retaliatory strike. Uh, and he's going to attempt to parry. He has a instant... Uh, no, immediate interrupt effect, which allows him to parry, and he doesn't. Uh, he does parry, but the force of your 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 push forward is enough for him to sort of bend the sword back awkwardly, and the spikes drive on through. Um, roll damage for me. Twenty-two with the Twenty-two with the power dam- with the power bonus. So that's that's a twenty-seven. And um, by the way, as he does this, he also shouts back because I think he's seen Zantari playing with the electricity. Um, uh, shock me up. He he's kinky like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's he's. You kind of get the feeling like if if you have to use something, use him as the grounding point. Oh, you're yelling? I thought the yeah. guard was yelling. I was a little confused. Okay. Oh, he there. He's he's kind of he's kind of muttering in dwarvish, but you hear him yell back that you know whatever use 
use him if you need to. Ladies and gentlemen, a sexy Christmas adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> D4 After Dark or Standard D4, whichever you like to call it. Standard D4. Works right. <laughs> Cesar, it's your turn. Did I, did I, by the way, did I uh, slice the guy's heart out or anything? Is he still standing? He's still standing. Uh, let's, let's envision, if we will, the scene of Boromir taking three arrows to the chest. <laughs> Wait, which film? <laughs> but, uh, I know. Sec- yeah, yes. I know. Oh, yeah, uh, yes, I remember the joke now. I just caught up. Yes, if you if you didn't quite understand, if you watch Lord of the Rings in every movie, every every three or every one of the three, uh, there is always a scene of Boromir getting shot in the chest. So they just relive Sean Bean dying. And every movie Sean Bean does, he dies pretty much. Yeah. So I mean, even in uh, Return of the King, which he wasn't in, still dies. Still dies. <laughs> it's just repetitive death. Damn, watch wizards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so. Um, pulling the shield away, you'll actually find that a couple of your spy- the spikes have actually broken off in his chest and uh, have gone through his chest, uh, embedded in his armor, but they haven't come out again, um, which is eventually, uh, essentially stopping him from, from dying or having his heart ripped out. That being said, he's going to take five ongoing damage for the next couple of turns because he's bleeding out. Is that satisfactory? Yes, he likes that. Cesar, your turn. Uh, well, uh, seeing the this fight, at least for the, the captain, maybe coming to a close, Cesar, um, despite that, feels the need to add as much injury as possible, so he's going to uh, pull out his uh, his small squadron of, of clockwork soldiers that he's been working on and give them some more practice, and he'll uh, sort of throw them out um, into the area where the the fight is occurring, it's a uh, it's the Clockwork Soldiers encounter power. It's a, again an area burst two. I guess again I'll center it on uh, on uh, Osric there, but uh, it doesn't do any uh, damage at this point. Uh, it the, it makes the zone difficult terrain for everybody, but any enemy that starts its turn within the zone is subject to an attack. So we'll get there okay. when they're. Uh, and then otherwise I'll just retreat as much as possible to put distance between myself and any potential foes while keeping an eye on things and being ready to take a, a shot next turn if need be. Okay, not a problem. Um, Zanatari, your turn. Okay. Um, wanting to eliminate this captain and getting angry at his increased uh, endurance, she's going to use her Wrathful Lightning now, very carefully, Wrathful Lightning, uh, the cool part about this is I'm going to teleport myself or an ally. In this case, I'm going to use old Oz there. I'm going to teleport him within five squares adjacent to the target. So basically, I'm going to make it so he is between, he is, the captain is here, the open train, uh, you know, ripped up section that leads out to, you know, the wilderness is here. Uh, sorry, audio podcast. Yes, there's an open door. The captain, and then on the other side of the captain is going to be Oz. So uh, basically, he'll be able to attack the captain, hopefully shove him out the door at some point. Uh, I will be able to launch my weapon with divine strength, and it will fly basically like a boomerang and smack into uh, the captain, and then it will return to my hand. 
So I'm going to roll versus AC. Six, okay. 21. Does it hit? Yes, it hits. Okay, 2d8 plus 7. Why do I roll these damn elven dice? I can't even read. Is this a 2? <laughs> I, I did I did buy you dice for Christmas last year. I know year. you did. Okay, for 11. 11? Yeah. Alright, so you take 11 damage. Um, however, you did say that this is a, a, a train made of brass and other materials. Um, so lightning will start to kind of arc from essentially these brass archways that are sort of forming a, a shell, a, the bones to the structure. Um, Though, due to your divine uh, nature, the lightning is actually directed from away from you, bouncing off Ostrich, um with his sheer amount of play that not even the divine gods could direct that amount of lightning <laughs> away from him. But it is channeled. It is channeled from his armor, across his armor, sparking like tiny, sp tiny blue spiders and actually jumping out at the guards um, that are surrounding Ostrich doing 10 points of damage to both of them, um, uh, causing severe burns, and actually one of their cloaks, uh, unfortunately the guy that's lying on the ground, um, the poor fellow is just not having a great day, okay. uh, his his cloak catches on fire from the sparks. Um, and he is, he is now days prone and burning. Um, it's just not a great day for him, so he's going to start taking two points of damage ongoing. Uh, throughout the battle. He already stopped and he dropped. All, right. All he has to do is roll. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, finally, um, the teleportation. Do you want to Do you want to describe what happens with the teleportation? Basically, uh, as Ozark is, is primed to you know strike for the next turn when he gets an opportunity, he's going to suddenly blink out and blink back into existence uh, in a position where he is now facing that open hole in the train, probably looking startled at the time, and Xenotari uh, would give him a saucy wink. Saucy wink. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. So the guard, the guard that has just been electrocuted um, is subject to an attack. Spasming out. He's, yes. He is. He is subject to an attack. Marvelous. Roll, uh, is it damage, please? I have to hit first. Uh, 25 versus reflex? Hits. Alright, is this the one laying down, or not? Uh, no, this is the one that the, is standing up. The other one. Up. Okay. Yes, he, yes. um, they, uh, swarm his, up his feet and legs, and start digging into the flesh there. They deal... 11 damage with their various types of weaponry, and uh, he is slowed until the end of his next turn. Well, I don't think we need to really worry about the slowed, because as the machines crawl up his legs, they start tearing him apart, um, crawling almost like the, the fire ants in Indiana Jones. If anyone recalls that that terrible Crystal Skull movie, crawling into every every hole that is available to to them and tearing him apart from the inside, um, he turns into Mashigu uh, and kind of falls to the ground, um, shrieking in agony and dies. Right, guard 
poor guard to sees that oh. and is subject to an attack himself. Ooh. Yes, roll roll the attack. Just in horror as they approach his face, since he's laying down. Uh, that might not hit. Um, well, maybe we'll tw- a twenty versus reflex. That, that'll hit. That just hits. Okay. So what do we got here? Eleven damage, and he's eleven slowed. damage. Well, that's that's enough to kill the poor bastard. <laughs> do you want to? I'm going to. I'm going, I'm going to let you describe how you put him out of his misery. Well, seeing as they they have a an easy point of attack at this, you know, rather than having to scale up a regular sized person, all the vitals are are right there. They all, uh, you know, half of them sort of go after one of the jugulars, and the other go after the other one, and just either you know pummel with their their tiny maces or slash with their swords or or you know, rip with their hands and just rip open just go directly for the the jugular veins on both sides of his his neck and under the hood assuming it's someone a creature that has jugular veins and uh just ripping that area to to shred so he's bleeding profusely and i don't know trying to swat them off of him but with that much damage done to his veins he he uh he's done for Cool. So he uh, he succumbs after lying and screaming and and lying on the ground twitching. He stops moving eventually and dies. Okay, we go back to the captain. The captain is severely just unimpressed by the the failure that is his guards. And um, oh boy, what is he going to do? He's uh, he's going to be subject to an attack. (laughs) He he certainly is. Uh, I'll get you to roll that one for me. 28 versus Reflex. That's going to hit. Max damage of 14. And 14? he's slowed. Cool, 7. He's a little bit... Uh, unlike the other two, he doesn't just sort of... Uh, you know, give up here and, and and freak out. He starts crushing the robots beneath booted feet, even though they, they, they crawl up his legs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's, he's swiping them off, but they're still nipping at him. And they open several more wounds underneath his armor, causing him to bleed um, even more from you know, the, sh- the sheer cuts that are beneath him. Um, and you see him stagger to one side, and you know, the the blood loss is just is too much. Um, and he he basically spends his action holding himself up against a wall um, with his sword in a guarded position, ready for any attack that may come towards him. And we go to Osric. Okay. I'm going to make an attack, but I'm going to reserve a minor in the event that it actually kills this guy. Okay? Okay. Um, Osric is going to the... Uh, we got a guy. I'm facing the doorway. Mm-hmm. The guy died. Where is the captain in relation to Osric, the guard captain right now? Uh, he would be about mm, three or four feet in front of the open door where where he was positioned, and I believe you are behind him. Is that okay. right, Zanatari? He is... Ostrich is facing the open door. The captain okay, so, is between him and the open door. Okay, so you are in front of him. You have been pushed in front of him. Um, or you, you appear in front of him um, with his sword sort of at a guarded 
point he and he doesn't quite realize that you're there because you're you sort of just appeared in front of him so you're sort of under his under his guard right now so is the door to the open door to the back of him it is to the back of him yes and it's swinging open and closed uh with with the sheer amount of wind that's blowing in um having driven my shield in pulled it out he's got the pieces stuck there the shield again comes up and there's sort of this decorative what looks to be kind of like this decorative point on the end of his shield at the top mm-hmm. yep Dries that up into the throat area of the um, captain as an attack. Roll. Thirty-six. Hits. Okay. With a relative ease, too. Seventeen points of damage. That's ten points of overkill. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, as he brings it up, he shifts, adjusts, it adjusts a little bit once he pulls it, pulls it out, uses a minor action, flicks the um, bottom of his shield up to where the guy's uh, jingle bells are. Mm-hmm. That appears to be um, bladed as well. Cuts them off. Rolls over into the fire and roasts some chestnuts. Damn. As the guy is, uh, momentum, momentum is gonna strike him out of the, uh, out of the, um, train door. Alright, so, uh, with that, um, combat is, is, is ceased. The guard goes flying out of the door. No scream available to him for the nut shot, uh, having a, a shield driven through his throat, um, and, and silencing his, his voice box. Uh, and he goes uh, fly- flying silently out of the door and disappears into the dark of night. Cool. Nice job, everyone. Um, that was really cool to listen to, too. As always, I've always dreamed of hearing you guys fight and being on this at the end of DMing. So. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. So um, I guess you'll want to discover who these hooded figures are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I assume you pull da- pull back the hoods of those that are still in the carriageway. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. I am actually going to go over and start tending to the um, prisoners while this is going on. Cool. All right. So pulling back the hood, you reveal lightly armored drow with brilliant green hair and eyes. Their cloaks are fastened with an unfamiliar pin of an exaggerated claw within a circle that appears silver. Okay. They're after Cesar. They'll get you Gadget next time. <laughs> I'll get you Gadget. Dr. Claw. So, Dr. Uh-huh. Dr. Claw. Dr. Claw. Go, go, Gadget. Arcana check. Do we uh, have any... I mean, we spent some time with the Drow. The Drow now live in Winterhaven. Um, do we Those have any drow. knowledge of, of Drow speak at this point? Um, I guess that would, yeah, yeah I, I guess you would. I mean, having spent time with them, you would, you would know some kind of drow speak, yeah? Um, so that would probably help in the questioning aspect, which Zantari would want to do. It's so a shame that they're dead. We killed. Well, I know, but I can bring one back to life. Isn't that convenient? Mm. It's very convenient. Yes, it is. All right, so. so but you want to bring back the pile of goo or the one without any jugular veins? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the one without jugular veins flew out, right? He had no, no throat. Is there? No, is, that was a different one. Oh, they've both been. Well, it doesn't really matter once they're dead, does it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're kind of coming back as spirits. Damn, does it matter? If they can't. It doesn't doesn't really matter. They'll they will talk. Okay. Well, I have uh, my my special resurrection ability for one creature that's been dead less than twenty four hours, which clearly it has. So there, I'm gonna use that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I don't know. It's just a thing. Okay, so you see life flicker back into his eyes, though he is still very, very pale for what a drow could look like. Um, yeah, I mean he's not really alive. It's just I get. He's to not really alive. So he he's there and he's waiting your question. Yes, I get to ask one question. So guys, what's the one question we want to ask? Who sent you? Whose line is it anyway? <laughs> Who sent you? I'm Who Batman. Sent? I'm Batman. Um. <laughs> What's your one question? What do you guys think? I like your one question. Who sent you? All right. Well, I would put him to the question. Because you've, you've been checking your list and checking it twice, and you found that he's been naughty, not nice. Uh, 50 experience points. <laughs> Boo, we don't have anything to drink. But you know so, what? But you know what? What? We've been really riding this sleigh for about a good 45 minutes. <sighs> All right. So who sent you? Is that the question? Mm-hmm. He, he visibly, you can see him sort of restraining from trying to talk and answer the question, um, though he is he's kind of bound by your magics to, to answer. And... Uh, he basically says, one who hates winter's giving with a vengeance. Are the dead uh, allowed to be vague? I'm just going to say, uh, our usual DM is, is vague all the time. I've given you a fair amount of description. <laughs> Let me have this one vagueness. All right, okay. Let me have this one vagueness, please. Okay. Um, though it should be fairly obvious. I mean, you, you, I think you only know of one, one creature that hates Christmas or Winter's Giving, um, as any one creature could. Really? If we can recall back, throw ourselves back to a previous Christmas episode. The Thornch. The Thornch? Mm-hmm. I thought we took care of the Thornch. His heart grew and whatever. Well, Thornch. Winter's a cold and... There are always new reasons to hate Christmas. Like retail. <laughs> and customers. Maybe he got a maybe he got a job. Maybe the Thorns trying to, to start a new life. <laughs> maybe too so, many people asked him if Minecraft was available for the PS3. Which it is now. Now what will you do with yourself? Tell them that Mario doesn't come on PS3. Right. So, you find out that the Thaunch is behind all of this. Okay. Um, and with that, the spirit passes. Okay. Into whatever drow hell that he belongs to. Alright. Um, anything else? Anything in regards to the cloak pin or anything like that? In regards to the captives, I'm going to make a heal check to make sure that they are all stabilized and at least their level of shock is some degree less. Sure. Uh, take a roll. 22. 
Okay. You are. It's relatively easy. You see that most of them are unharmed. Few, a few flesh wounds from, from the attack. Um, they appear to have been questioned about, um, uh, about the the train, and how it functions. Um, the most of them are sort of rambling, you know, to one another about, you know, how they could let, how could they let this happen, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, one of them looks decidedly nervous amongst the group. Um, more so than the rest, more shaken than the rest. Mm. Question him. Here, put this brooch in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess the question is, how did they get aboard and things of that nature? So, uh, Zenitar would be slightly suspicious of the fact that he's so nervous and, uh, you know, just kind of like nicely, not not mean, but nicely, just sort of, you know, reassure him that everything's okay and he's safe now, and just sort of like try to kindly get information out of him without being, you know, jerky about it. And I'm going to roll a charisma check because I'm so fun. Diplomacy charisma, which is nine fifteen. Okay, so, um, go ahead. What would you do? Um, going up to him, you know, gently giving him his space, uh, crouching down, you know, to make herself of a similar size, you know, kind of kneeling down. So I assume he's resting like on the ground. Uh, she would check on him, ask if he was okay, you know, check his wounds that have already been taken care of by Osric and, and just, you know, say that she's concerned about these you know enemies being able to board the train and that he knows so much more about the magic of of how this train works and has been here longer and and part of such a very talented you know craftsman culture maybe he could you know tell her like like if he has any suspicions or ideas on how this would happen and sort of try to charm him into uh divulging why he's so nervous okay so uh first thing that he would do is that he would actually avoid eye contact with you and shy away from any any kind of physical touch. Um, he actually moves himself physically away from you and doesn't answer any of your questions. Um, though the charm has worked, like he he continually sort of glances up at you, but he, he tries to avoid eye contact as much as possible. He is physically just uncomfortable in the presence of of everyone right now. Okay, um, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, does do I sense that it's like fear, or he's just really shy? It's it's fear. It's this isn't just shyness. This is for a guard being shy doesn't quite work out, does it? So, um, you know, he wouldn't be able to tell people to move along. <laughs> These are not the droids that I am looking for. Um, you guys just um, <laughs> go, go over here. Hey, I guess that's hey. true. Hey guys, can you like go? No. Uh, all right then. I'll. Um, I'm just gonna go over here. Just move along, please. Dude. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I can rule intimidate and try to force him into telling us, but it's probably not the best. Uh, best option. Is there anything I can like judge by the way he looks? Like if I. Uh, if I'm perceptive, insight. Yeah, perception. Whatever. Sure. Roll if you want to roll perception. You can do that. By all means. And uh, I'll get you to roll a perception check at the same time. Uh, Os, Osric. 24. 24. So you can actually see that his skin is actually a a stranger shade of color. It's not quite the, the elvish tan that you might expect from someone that lives in a winter climate. 
um, you know, like the snowburn type, um, you know, like the weird tanning that you get when you're when you're at the snow. Um, he's he's actually a little bit darker and doesn't have any of that that tanning to him. Um, he almost looks like a half breed. Um, and as for Osric, what were you rolling to perceive? Um, I am rolling. I was gonna. I was thinking of looking at the uniforms, but I'm actually going to try and detect either with some because there's no other vibration or whatever else is going on because of the movement of the travel. I'm trying to see if I detect any other um, thudding of boots or stuff like that. Uh, what I was saying was is since the train is entirely smooth from travel uh, vibrations and things. I'm trying to find out if I hear any other disturbances further on or maybe get an idea as to what's um, going on elsewhere in the train in case there's further problems. Okay. Um, identified. Well, actually, would I know what was uh, found out about from the um, Thornch, from Xanatari's things, or is that just info that she has? Um, it's just something that she has at the moment. Okay, then I'd just be looking for trouble. Okay, um, there isn't any trouble. You do, uh, you do detect that there is one more carriage beyond where you are, which is actually the engine. Um, so the way that it's basically what you, what you see is uh, the engine door is, is bolted shut. Uh, it hasn't moved. There is no movement in the doorway uh, as of yet. Um, but you can see someone pacing back and forth between, um, or on the opposite side of the glass that is illuminated by, uh, illuminated by the glow of, of a, a machine in the engine. Okay, I'm going to turn my video off for the time being. Um, I'm going to stand up and start to approach the doorway after um, Cesar has his round of whatever he wants to do. Okay, not a problem. Cesar? Um, Cesar's going to focus on uh, picking up the pieces of his uh, you know, uh, creations, uh, gathering in the undamaged ones and the parts of the other ones, and uh, when he uh, is around the, the, the fallen enemies, he's going to search the I guess the especially the whole one search the body for anything uh interesting. The only thing that you find interesting on any of the bodies is just the cloak pin. The rest of it is just drow armor that you you see pretty much commonplace in marketplace or at Winterhaven. Okay. Um they have, you know, the usual drow weaponry, swords and daggers um equipped on them. Um you do also find a strange vial of, of green liquid. Um which you open um, to to investigate, and you mm-hmm. get the strong sense of candied mint um, coming from the from the the vial. Hmm. Okay. Um. Well, we'll keep this rolling along. Yeah. Um Basically, uh, the the guards uh, assure you that they're fine and urge you to to get to Chris Kringale, which they are uh, they are concerned that ha- uh, has been captured by the Thornch. Um, so you move forward, uh, going through, uh, one carriage towards the, 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 the final, the final, um, engine at the front. Um, 
and you can see looking forward through the, the, the open carriageway, which is a dining booth, um, you see many guards slumped over, uh, dead. Again, um, you find one guard um, close to death lying on, on uh, a table, coughing, and you hear his final words, We never expected Mint and dies. Um, <laughs> you hear a click, and you hear um, a door unlocking. Um, you move forward and you open the door and you come to the engine room. And there in the engine room is Chris Kringale, uh, bound and up against one wall, unharmed, um, and the thaunch pacing backwards and forwards, um, mm. operating levers and knobs, keeping the engine speeding forward, uh, faster and faster. Okay. You said he's bound, and who's around him? The, uh, the, the Chris Kringale is bound, um, and he's he's sitting there and he's smiling just happily, like he he kind of expected this to happen. Um, and the Thaunch is is uh, you know annoyed, moving backwards and forwards, trying to work out how to keep the machine moving forward. Um, occasionally looking over to, to Chris Kringale and, and like sending a kick his way. <laughs> Do we get the, the Thaunch? Go ahead. The Thorns, what are you doing here? I thought we took care of you. He looks surprised at your approach. Um, not expecting you guys to be on the train, to be honest. Um, and he, he, he goes back to, to maneuvering the, the knobs and levers at a more frantic pace and trying to accelerate his plans. Um, it, not actually answering your, your question. He's, he's uh, just very fervent in, in trying to achieve his goal. Do we get the feeling that uh, Chris is drugged and that's why he's stupidly happy? Or he's happy because he planned the fact that he would have adventurers on board the train to save him in just such an eventuality? I think... Uh I think it's a little bit of, of, of everything. I think he, he, he planned to have adventurers on board. Um, he knew that there would be some kind of trouble. Uh, there always is at this time of year. Um, but I think you'll also find that um, he's just, he's unconcerned. His, his supreme confidence in and, and positivity of the situation has allowed him to um, sort of draw good from any situation. So he's actually, he kind of is. <laughs> In a sense, I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, he he is a jolly jolly man, and I think he, I think if anything, I mean, he is a, a man that is uh, mysterious, much like the Thaunch. Um, he's very, you know, he he has his own secrets, and and I'm sure if if even if he didn't come to his aid, he would have stopped the situation, um, if it came to that. GM in his way, yes. Um, since I have combat advantage, I would like to make an action if possible. Sure, go ahead. I would like to roll an interactive diplomacy, and I will explain the interactive part. Go ahead. Um, this is a trained skill for me. So it would be a 24. Okay. Um, what is it? What is it kind of versus will or? Uh... I, so. I believe it is Will, yes. So, I need a little bit of, yeah, I just need a little bit more information. Um 
Okay, yeah, that that'd be all right. Yeah, uh, let me just pull some information up here really quick. It won't be too long. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Where is it? There we go. Um, yeah. Okay. Sure. That'll that'll hit. Okay. Um, I walk over to the uh, Thornch, gently put my hand on his shoulder, turn him around, and at the same time cuff him across the face. And just say very simply in um, uh, common, stop. Um, <laughs> he he looks at you, uh, stuns, silence, and then he gets a, a, a he gets cross. He gets he gets quite uh, infuriated, and he kicks you back um, with more force than you were expecting, enough to actually send you you know back a few paces. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he looks at you, he's like, no one will stop my plan. I have lain in wait for a year. I fooled you with my heartwarming scheme. Uh, he seems almost desperate, like it, it's not quite true, but, you know, something is something has occurred. And with that, he then kicks... Quite enthusiastically, one of the uh, one of the levers is towards the ground, and it breaks off and clatters to the ground. And with a flourish, <clears throat> he produces another of those green vials, and then he produces a red vial, and then he holds them together in, in one hand, and he goes, "And to all a good night!" And he throws them against the ground, um, smashing them. The two liquids mixing together. Um. And he leaps from the train, um, quite, quite, um, you know, it's it's quite unexpected. However, he he jumps from the train, and uh, you taste mint in your mouth. Um, however, uh, Chris Kringle uh, suddenly appears beside you. Uh, why he didn't sort of free himself to begin with was, you know, unknown to you. But he he disperses the the cloud with a wave of his hand. He picks up the 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 lever in one hand, ungloves his other, and holds the the lever over the broken stem and puts his hand over it. And you see a, a warm glow, kind of almost as if the metal was bending and fusing together. And pulling his hand away, you actually see the same sort of uh, runes and glyphs that were across the the track, um, melding the, the metal back together. And the th- the Chris Kringrail turns and looks at you, and he goes, "Yes, this was all unnecessary, but I had to <laughs> test you. I had to test you. I had to test that you were filled with Christmas spirit and winter's giving, seasonal doohickey majigas. <laughs> you have proven yourself to me that you are adventurers of worth." That you are involved and invested in in the world that you live in and the land that you belong to, and to the town that you know. Though it seems strange that I would come out of the blue and just invest money and uh, <laughs> and economy to to your town, you have proven yourselves worthy of the gifts of winter's giving. And to all of you. You you deserve what I have to give. I offer you this train. 
This train will allow you to travel anywhere in the world that you wish, free of charge. And you have the ability to call upon my elves at any time uh, to, to help and protect you. They will be there in an instant because you are willing to go out of your way uh, to protect that which is the spirit of winter's giving. I am the spirit of winter's giving. Uh, and with that, the train pulls up at the, the station of North Haven. Um, it is a small, quaint little town, and it, it seems all kind of like a, a dream, really. It's it's... It's, it doesn't quite make much sense. You know, one minute you are fighting for your lives, the next minute you're at this town. Like I said, this train can, can stop in an instant. And you find yourself stepping off the train, almost uh, trance-like. And uh, next thing you know, you're uh, in the middle of uh, revelry and festivities, um, enjoying yourselves and having a wonderful winter's giving Um and that's it, you know. You you essentially save the train. You've saved the 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 what was it? The tra- <laughs> transport rail apparatus into Nexus. <laughs> yes, yes, the train acronym. And and you learn all about spirit of winter's giving. The end. Yay! Yay! That was a horrible ending. I, I had to cut it short. Ah uh, yes, no, no. That's that's the latency's fault. We could have had a, a more epic battle rather than than oh, Chris, who was... just freed himself with his f- ability to teleport the whole time. Yes, there was. I I apologize if I had more time. I actually had a a full um event planned out. Yes, um, that would have that would have stopped the train, but um we were running out of time. No, that was really great. I enjoyed the uh, imagery. It was fun. Yay, winter episodes, everyone. Holiday greetings. Justy Ford. Holiday greetings. Yes. Holiday greetings. Um, have a, a Merry little, Christmas. A little Klaus ex machina never hurt anybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. And we'll see if this train lasts uh, in future episodes or if uh, Dan's going <laughs> to nix that as far too simple traveling abilities. I, I do think the uh, Klaus ex machina uh, should be the title, though. Okay, I agree. Or, or, as we say, five minutes, because uh, Thorne wrote this, and according to his his estimates, it was going to be a five-minute episode. And well, my, estimates we're about, got, my estimates got to six. Six-minute episode, okay. And we're at two hours and almost ten minutes, and uh, had to cut him severely short. So we could have gone on probably <laughs> till about three hours for his six-minute episode. <laughs> Love that estimator. Or yes. this just proves that we can spend three episodes crossing a field, which is pretty typical. Well, I figured we needed I figured we needed a slightly longer episode to make up for any absence over the Christmas holidays. But but, but see how uh, see though Thorn it, it it does take uh, time to move across a field. It, it certainly does. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had it planned that way because I knew that you want to interact with pretty much everything. So I wanted to give you guys, and especially I wanted to give you Seth. Um, as a thank you, you don't get to play often with with, with the uh, the group, and I wanted you to have as much interaction as possible. Um, you know, to to hopefully uh, slake that that adventuring lust. Oh, it, it's a it's a good thing. Thank you very much. 
Play you have to play epic ass-kicking dwarf, too, with, like, armor mm-hmm. out the wazoo and amazing powers of fighting. So that was pretty Well, cool. if we if we ever need another episode where, where uh, Seth would like to take a break, I'd gladly write another one. It's uh, it's fun playing a knight, apparently, because this defender class is pretty damn badass. <laughs> nice. All right, All right, so let me conclude, and we will be cool. Wait, wait no, wait, 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 wait. Thorin has to say the magic magic words for dismissal. That's right. I was going to say, Zenitari, take us out. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can find out more at deathd4dishonor.com. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Twitter at deathd4. Please take a listen to the Gray Area Podcast about advice and interviews on relationships between gamers at genesee.com. And join us for our worldwide adventure. Stay tuned for next week as we continue our travel. We will put this out for the Christmas episode. And we have the conclusion of... Uh, where we are currently coming out the week after between Christmas and New Year's. So you really won't miss anything. Uh, so hopefully you've been following that. If you haven't, then, uh, you know, follow the channel on Twitch and you can always find us on iTunes or, uh, death So anyway, uh, good night. Thank you guys.